You know, uh, when I first started ministry, one of the things that I was really curious about was how to be an effective preacher. How am I supposed to give effective sermons? And so I ended up researching and looking up a lot of different uh, ways that you can give sermons, uh, a lot of different famous pastors, and I realized that there were just so many different options. There were some pastors who um, spoke really casually. They would make sure that they wouldn't use any theological terms so that they wouldn't alienate the congregation. They made sure that they would use words that everyone would understand. And yet, at the same time, there were those who would use theological terms. And on the way, they would just define it. And I realized that both were pretty effective. On the other side are those who were really dynamic, really charismatic, who were able to really speak with Augusto, who were able to do all of that stuff. And yet, at the same time, there were those preachers who were very monotone, who kind of just stuck to the script. And yet, what I've realized with both those is that they were actually both pretty effective too. And also, I've realized that there are pastors or preachers who dress really casually, flip-flops, shorts, shirt. How cool would that be if I could just, if I just did that too, right? But on the flip side, there are those who would wear a three-piece suit every single Sunday. And I realized that even with those two different types of preachers, two different types of styles, two different types of ways of dressing, both were effective. And so as time went on, I became just a little bit more and more confused. But here's the thing. As I started to grow in my own faith, as I started to grow in my own preaching, one thing I realized is that effective preaching and giving an effective sermon wasn't about your tone of voice. It's not about what you wear. You see, effective preaching does one thing. It communicates one clear message. There can be a lot of different subpoints. There can be a lot of different illustrations. But at the end of the day, if you are able to give one clear message, one clear theme, one clear thesis, then you have done a good and effective job. The reason I'm bringing this up is because of all of the models within the Bible, and there are a lot of great, effective preachers. One of the, one of the best, one of the greatest uh, models of effective preaching is John the Baptist. Because when you see the way that he speaks and the way that he gives a sermon, especially in this passage, what you are going to realize is that he hits one theme, one word, again and again and again. And that word is repentance. Repent. Repent. You see, verse 3, it says, And he, John the Baptist, went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance literally means to turn away. But the Bible actually goes a step further. And it says it's not just to turn away, it's actually to change your mind. The Bible says that you are changing your mind from one thing to another. And yet Acts 4, 3, 3.19 actually says repentance leads to a change in actions. And so what the Bible says is that true repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of actions. Now, what does repentance have to do with our salvation? Well, 
Repentance is changing your mind regarding sin and regarding Jesus Christ. It means that if you are going down one path, if you are going down one way, that you are willing and able to change your mind so that you are going in the opposite direction and you are going towards Jesus Christ. It means that the things that you were heading to before, the things that you found satisfaction in before, the things that you were content in before, you are able and willing to turn away from them because you believe and you trust that Jesus Christ is better than those things. That is true repentance. And yet what's happened for so many of us within the church is that we forget about this. And we simply trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And we forget about the first part. And yet the Bible is clear that unless you have true repentance, you cannot have true faith. That you need to understand the depths of your sin in order to fully understand what Jesus Christ has done for you. That you have to see that as good of a person you might be, your sin causes you to have a disconnect from God. And that there is nothing in your life, no action, no ability that you have that can connect you closer to the Lord. And that's why God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. He came as a sacrifice. He came as a spotless lamb for us to take our place. You know, I think a lot of us have this misunderstanding because we tend to demean or belittle repentance a lot. And so we think of Jesus Christ as somebody who we need to kind of just put into our lives, and yet at the same time, we're doing a pretty good job on our own. And I, I'm, a vic- I'm not a victim, but I'm a, I'm a culprit of this too. Because I think a lot of times in the church, we say these words that can cause misunderstandings, that say things like, um, do you choose to accept Jesus Christ? Or you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you see, that, that wording is true to a point, but it causes room for misunderstanding. Because it seems like we're almost giving Jesus the, the privilege of being accepted by us that we're in this kind of sea of sovereignty. And we're saying, okay, you know, Jesus, I, I think now I'm ready to, for, for me to accept you, for me to choose you. And yet what the Bible says is completely opposite. It says, look, repentance is not about me, it's not about you, it's about God. And so repentance is not whether I can choose God, it's whether God is willing to choose a sinner like me whether Jesus Christ is willing to take me for my faults, take me for my sins, and take me for my past. You see, a true repentant heart will come before Jesus Christ on their knees and say, Jesus, I know the things that I have done. I know the sins that I've committed. I understand my past. But God, would you choose me? Would you still accept me? I'm here and I'm open. Would you still be with me? That type of mindset is so different, church. And yet that's the type of mindset that is talked about again and again in the Bible. It's about your heart. I read an article recently that talked about this. 
and they called it, the title was Compromised Christianity. And the, uh, the article said that we are so used to a watered-down type of gospel that these days within churches, there's actually not really that much of a mention of repentance. Instead, what we do is we talk about gospel, and, and that gospel includes just adding Jesus into our lives. And if you add Jesus, then your life is going to get better. And so we say things like, hey, if, is your marriage not doing well? Then why don't you add Jesus? Why don't you believe in Jesus, and therefore your marriage will get better? We'll say things like, hey, is your career not going in the direction you want it to go into? Then you should believe in the gospel. You should believe in Jesus Christ, because if you do, then, then your life will get better. And so we equate success and addition of Jesus Christ as, as that is the crux of the gospel. And yet, church, what you have to realize is that the Bible says the crux of the gospel is repentance. Are you willing to repent over your sins? Do you understand the condition of your heart? Do you understand that you are a sinner in need of a Savior? And if you do, that is the only way that you will realize that Jesus Christ needs to be the Savior of your soul, that he needs to be the very center of who you are. It's not about Jesus Christ being an addition to you. It's saying, Jesus, I'm willing to lay down everything so that you can be in the very center of my life. That is a true Christian. You are a Christ follower. See, this was the message of John the Baptist. He spoke about a lot of different things, and yet the crux of his message was always the same. He had one clear message that he hit from the very top to the very bottom, from the very beginning to the very end, and that was repentance. Repent, repent, repent. So today, what I want to do was something, is something really simple. I want to go through John's words here and see what true repentance really looks like. Because what we see with John the Baptist is he mentions three elements of repentance. First is that repentance focuses on personal sin. Second is that repentance rejects religion. And third is that repentance results in spiritual fruit. You know, John the Baptist, he was a really interesting figure. What we read in the Bible is that he was a really kind of strange person, right? He, he uh, wore weird clothes. Uh, he ate weird stuff. Uh, he wasn't the typical pastor or preacher back in the day. But the Bible says that people flocked to him. It says that actually all of Jerusalem and all of Judea came to see him and to hear him. Scholars point out that there is one reason why. And it's because 30 years ago, they had heard about the miracle of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they had also heard more about the miracle of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And say so they knew that John the Baptist was intimately connected with this man who was supposed to be the Messiah. And so they were willing to travel from all over the place to go hear John the Baptist preach. Because you see, these people were also waiting for a Messiah. These people were waiting for someone to save them. For years and years, generations, they were oppressed by the Romans. And so what they were doing is they were waiting for a king or someone strong to be able to go over and take over their land. They were waiting for someone to give them freedom. That was the Messiah they were looking for. It wasn't about their own sin. 
It wasn't about their own condition. It was simply about finding somebody who would be able to take over the land for them. And so they went over to John the Baptist, kind of hoping, you know, kind of waiting expectation, probably kind of just excited. And then, bam, they come before John the Baptist, and he doesn't preach a single word about taking over Romans. He doesn't preach a single word about giving them their land. All he says is, you are sinners in need of a savior. So repent and be baptized. He doesn't say that the world is full of sin. He says, you are sinners. He doesn't say that the world and the land needs to be conquered. He says, your hearts need to be conquered for the Lord. You are going in the wrong direction. You are going towards sin. Your priorities are in the wrong place. And so change your heart and turn back to the Lord. John the Baptist, he wasn't speaking out of wrath or out of anger. He was speaking out of love, church. And that's my heart for you today as well. As I look upon many of you, I know your stories too. I know where you've come from. And the, th the only thing that I can say to you, more than giving you a good illustration or a good anecdote or something else, the only thing that I can really say is to repent. Repent for your sins. You are going in the wrong direction. You are going towards things that are not towards the Lord. And so if this sermon has anything that you can take away from, take this one thing, that you need to repent from your sins and turn back to the Lord. Repent and be baptized. So they come to hear this wild man preach. And he is preaching this word. And the first thing he says about true repentance is really simple. Look at your own sin. You need to look at your own sin. Verse 4, John quotes Isaiah by saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. He's saying, look, you need to prepare yourself because the Messiah is going to come. You need to prepare yourself because Jesus will be here. Now, when you hear that, what does that mean? What does it mean to prepare yourself? He's saying you need to prepare your heart. Verse 5 says, every valley shall be filled up. Every mountain and hill shall be brought low. The crooked shall become straight, the rough road smooth. Then you'll see the salvation of God. You see, John is using all of these different analogies to connect us to our own sin. The valleys being filled up means that low and dark places in your heart must be brought into the light. He's saying, look into your own life. Look into your own heart. Look at the things that are hidden in your own life the things that you are unwilling to share to anybody else, you need to bring those things up. You need to think about them and go before the Lord and repent. The things that are darkest, lowest in your life, those are the things that need to be brought before the Lord because only God can change them. You cannot do it on your own strength. There is no counselor in the world who is able to do that. The only one is the wonderful counselor, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so come before the Lord. Bring the valleys of your heart to him. And at the same time, bring the mountains to be filled by him as well. The mountains being brought low means that the high things in your heart must be brought down. What are the high things? It's yourself. It's your pride. It's your own self-accomplishments, your own self-will. He's saying those things can no longer be the priority of your life. 
Those things can no longer be the number one thing in for you. You have to put them down. You have to put them as a lower priority, and you have to put Jesus first. Because if those things are first in your life, then Jesus will never be first for you. And if Jesus is never first for you, then true repentance will never come. So the things that are high in your life, the mountains and the hills, you must bring them down. Church, what are the high things in your life? How important is yourself for you? Is Jesus Christ really the center of your life, or is it somebody else, or is it yourself? Your pride can no longer be your main priority. John goes on to say, the crooked is made straight. And it means that anything twisted, anything deceitful, anything perverse must be straightened out. It means that the habits that you have that are not pleasing to the Lord have to be fixed. They have to turn around. They must be broken. And lastly, the rough roads made smooth means that anything that obstructs the Lord from entering your heart must be thrown away. What are the things in your life that are blocking you from hearing and understanding the Lord? What are things in your life that you know are a hindrance to you reading the Bible, that are a hindrance to you praying, that are a hindrance to you growing closer to the Lord? John the Baptist here is saying, look at those things and throw them away. Those things are crooked, those things are rough, and they will not help you to grow because true repentance means that you are consciously and truthfully looking at the things in your life that are turning you away from the Lord and you are willing and able to turn away from those things and turn towards God. Are you willing to do that? That's true repentance. Oh, I know, I know, that's a, that's a lot, right? I know that's a lot to, to go over, a lot to say. But here's the thing, the Bible says this, and I hope you take this with hope that with your own strength, it is impossible. Well, I guess it's not very hopeful, but it's not possible. But here's the thing. When you go before the Lord, and you go before him with a truly repentant heart, and you say, God, I can't do this on my own. God, I don't know if I can really do this. God, I I have these sins. I have these mistakes. I have these things that are hidden from everybody else. But God, I bring them to you. The Bible says that when you come before him with a repentant heart, Jesus Christ will accept you. He will forgive you. He will be like a father with open arms waiting for you to return to him. The Bible says that even though you do not have the strength to do so, the Holy Spirit will give you strength. It's the Holy Spirit that breaks the chains for you. It's the Holy Spirit that breaks the bonds for you. I have seen this over and over again. And that's one of the the greatest blessings of ministry that I have been able to witness testimony after testimony. I've seen this in real life again and again of people who for so long have been struggling with addictions and habits and things that they can never get rid of. And yet when they turn to the Lord, they're able to turn those things off. They're able to turn away from those things. And they say, I don't know how I did it. I don't know how it happened. And I say, I know how it happened. It was because of Jesus Christ. It was because of the Holy Spirit. We know that you weren't able to do that. Look, I know who you are. I know your character. I know you don't have the strength to do that. But I know that Jesus Christ is able to. And so it's the Holy Spirit that was able to do so. You see, that is the promise that God gives us, 
that when you come before the Lord with a truly repentant heart of your sins, you're not going to be on your own. You're not going to be doing it by yourself. The Holy Spirit will give you the strength to do so. You see, John is saying that you need to look at your heart and deal with your sins today. He's saying that this is so immensely important for you because there are a lot of reasons, but in verse 7, he says one of the reasons, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He says that you need to turn from your sins, that you need to repent because your repentance has everlasting and immense consequences. You see, the crowd would understand what that meant. Because in the Old Testament, there is prophecy after prophecy about all of these things that talk about hell. That there is a judgment that will come. That God's wrath is going to come. And so therefore, you need to turn your heart. You need to repent of your sins. You see, in our modern culture, we barely mention hell. Most of the time, we talk about heaven, and we talk about the love of God, and and those things, of course, we do need to talk about it. Of course, we do need to mention and and preach about those things. But here's the thing. To, To not speak about hell is to leave out a huge portion of the Bible. When repenting before God, it is essential to recognize the reality of hell. It does a disservice to God, it does a disservice to the Bible, and it does a disservice to you if I don't mention hell and the eternal ramifications of what is to happen if we do not repent for our sins. Because there is the truth, there is a reality that when we die and we do not accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, that we are going to hell. And hell is a place of eternal separation from God. Not just for a lifetime, not just for a few decades, for eternity. The Bible says that it is an eternity of torment, an eternity of punishment. And that is to come if we do not repent and turn back from our sins. John the Baptist, he is saying these things not to scare us into saying, okay, no, now I have to really do this. He's saying this because he loves us. He loves the crowds. He loves the people there. And I'm saying this to you too, not not in order to simply scare you, but but because I do love you, because I know your stories, and I want you to truly know who Jesus Christ is. I want you to taste and see how good he is that he is the greatest thing that has ever happened in my life. And I want you to taste a piece of that. And the one way that you are able to do so, the first step of that is repentance. For you to see your own sin. For you to see the depths of of your sin, to see the depths of the things that you have done. Because when you see those things, that's the only way you will see the greatness of who Jesus Christ is in your life. So verse 7 tells us that the crowd wanted to be baptized. But instead of baptizing them, he calls them, he, John the Baptist calls these people uh, a brood of vipers. I was thinking about that. How, how interesting would it be if we had a baptism class? People who are so excited to be baptized, and first thing I said, hey, you brood of vipers, right? But that's what John does. All these people were excited. They, they, I want to be baptized. I, I want to do that. I want to be next. And he just goes to them and says, hey, you are a brood of vipers. Why would he say that? 
It's because he knows that these people are snakes running from the fire, but unwilling to change their nature. You know, when I, uh, when I lived in California, we would have these brush fires, right? And they would just happen all of a sudden, and they would just cover, like, you know, just a lot of land. And I remember one day I was close to one of these brush fires, uh, and it just started all of a sudden. And from the brush, from, from the bush there that was on fire, all of a sudden I saw three or four snakes just slither out all of a sudden. It was one of the most disgusting moments of my, of my life, right? It was gross. But here's the thing. John is actually saying something really similar. He's saying that these people want to get baptized, not because they're truly repentant, but because they want to escape the fire of God. He's saying, look, you people, you're not wanting to change your nature. You're not truly repentant. All you're trying to do is get away from the fire, from the judgment of what God is doing. But you see, without a heart change, it is meaningless for you to get baptized. Without you truly understanding the depths of your sin, without you truly being repentant over what you have done, it doesn't matter how many times you get baptized. It's meaningless. All you are are a brood of vipers. All you are are snakes running away from the fire, unwilling to change your nature. You see, church, that's my second point. True repentance rejects religion. You see, the crowd believed that they can make themselves right with God through their religion. As long as they prayed occasionally, as long as they went to church, as long as they gave sacrifices, then, okay, I've done my part. I've done what I needed to do. Now, now God is going to accept me. And yet, John the Baptist, he points that out. He sees their heart and he says, look, if you are unwilling to change your nature, if you are unwilling to change who you are inside, then it doesn't matter how much you try to change outside, it is meaningless because God sees your heart. God sees who you really are. And all you are are just snakes running away from the fire. And so what you need to do today is not try to bring superficial change in your life, not try to bring all these ritualistic things, but simply go before the Lord and say, God, I am repentant over my sins. God, I have things in my life that I need to give to you. God, would you take them from me? Are you truly repentant over your sins? Church, churches are filled with people who go through the motions. They go to church every week, we have people who, I know many of you have grown up in the church, who have done this again and again and again. And I pray and I hope that what I'm saying to you right now is just a simple wake-up call. Your emotions, your, your rituals, your religion is not going to save you. How much you give to the church is not going to save you. How many times you attend church is not going to save you. These things do not save you. They are a result of your understanding of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Do you get that? You doing these things doesn't lead to salvation. It is your salvation and your trust in Jesus Christ that leads to these things. You are willing to serve. You are willing to give. You are willing and desiring to come out to church because you have the knowledge that you are a sinner that cannot save themselves, and yet Jesus Christ saved you. 
And if Jesus Christ saved you, then what is there to worry about? If Jesus Christ is for you, then who can really be against you? And so for us as Christians, we have this type of courage. We have this type of contentment, this type of satisfaction. And as a church, if we have that, we are able to pour out and give and give and give. We are able to love the unlovable. We are able to give sacrificially. We are able to attend church. We are able to do all these things, not through our own strength, but because of the strength that Jesus Christ has given to us. You see, John the Baptist, he says, look, it's not going to be your rituals that save you, and it's not going to be your family or your lineage either. Because in verse 8, he says, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. You see, these people, you know what they were thinking? They said, I'm going to come to uh, hear John the Baptist. I'm excited for the Messiah, and I'm pretty good where I am because I know that I'm from the lineage of Abraham. And they were. They were from the lineage, lineage of Abraham. And they knew that they were being blessed because of what God had promised Abraham. And so they felt really good. And you see, John the Baptist, he sees that. And so he goes to them, he says, your family and who you are as a son or a grandson of Abraham is not going to save you. In fact, he's sarcastic in this way. And he says, look, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. He's saying, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who your forefathers are. Because just as easily God can bring anything out to be a, a, a grandson or a son of Abraham. Church, I want you to be careful about this as well. Just because you have a family of faith does not mean that you are saved. Just because you have a spouse or parents or brothers and sisters who are praying for you does not mean that you are saved. Do not be fooled by this. Do not be fooled, church. It is going to be your faith, not their faith, that God looks at. Of course, those things are a blessing from the Lord, that he has given you a family that loves you, that cares for you, that is praying for you. And yet, at the end of the day, it is not going to be their faith that saves you. It will have to be yours. And so do you truly believe that you are saved? Not your parents, not your spouse, not your brother or sister. Do you believe that you are saved? If you are not, if you are unsure, repent. Go before the Lord. Now is the time to do so. This sermon is for you. John tells the crowd that they are not special. They are not given any kind of pass in any way. So church, my brother and sister, I know many of you are young here too. Don't rely upon the faith of your parents. Don't rely upon borrowed faith in that way. Now is the time to cultivate your faith. Now is the time to form your relationship with God. My older brothers and sisters, it's still not too late. Go before the Lord. Pray to him. As long as you come before him with a truly repentant heart, he is willing and able to accept you. You see, true repentance looks at one's own sin. True repentance rejects religion. And lastly, true repentance results in spiritual fruit. Verse 8, the beginning of it says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. John is saying that if your repentance is real, if, you, if your repentance is truly given to the Lord, that if you have really looked upon your own heart, there is going to be a way that you know. 
I know for a lot of us, I talked to a lot of you, you said, how can I really know if God is doing this? How can I really test and see? This is the test. Here it is. It's a free thing for me to give you right now. The way that you can test if you are truly repentant is to look upon the fruit in your life. It's to see if you have true spiritual transformation. There are verse. There are so many verses that talk about how when you are repentant and when you are growing closer to the Lord, your heart will begin to change little by little. One of the best ways for you to know is when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, of peace, patience, kindness, of self-control, of all of these different things. Are you growing in those things? Have you been growing in those? Are you better yesterday? Are you better today than you were yesterday? Are you being more refined through the Holy Spirit? Do you see yourself growing in love towards other people? If you are, praise God, that is one of the tests that God gives us to see if you are truly repentant. And so take one step at a time and say, God, am I repentant? How do I know I can take these steps? I see where I've come from. I need you to just look at your own life and see and test yourself. Now, if you are not sure, hey, I have a good uh, thing that you can do. Talk to a brother and sister. Talk to one of your mentors. Talk to a biblical, uh, talk to one of your Bible study teachers. Talk to me. Talk to Pastor James. Talk to one of the pastors and say, hey, you've known me now for a while. Do you see spiritual fruit in my life? Do you see me growing in this way? I hope that the answer is yes, right? But that's one of the best ways, that's one of the blessings of the church, people, is having this type of community where we can keep each other accountable. So that's the best way for us to know. Push each other forward. Talk to your brothers and sisters and see. One other thing I want to mention about that. I know that it can be kind of disheartening to say, oh, I'm not sure. But I think that there's a reason why the Bible talks about um, our spiritual fruit with the word fruit. Because we know that fruit is seasonal. We know that fruit takes kind of a long time for it to ripen. In fact, if fruit ripens too quickly, we kind of go, oh, what? Like, are they using some, like, hormone stuff? Are they, you know, using some art? No, no. When you look at actual fruit, it's seasonal. It needs to take time. There has to be a waiting period. For you in your life as well, do not be discouraged if you do not see fruit in the moment. Look upon your life with a long-term perspective. Look at your life last year. Look at your life two years ago. Look at how you have been before and compare it to now. And I'm not talking about all of a sudden, sudden growth that completely transforms. That's the minority. I'm talking about the majority of us who needs time, who takes baby steps, who get refined little by little. Do you see that type of growth in your life? If you do, praise the Lord. Keep going. Keep going. And so that's kind of it, church. That's what repentance is. That's, that's kind of what John the Baptist is saying. Um, I apologize for it being kind of heavy. I didn't mean for it to be. But at the same time, I think it's important because John, when John the Baptist preaches or he talks to the people, he's not speaking out of anger. He does really speak from, from love. And for me, as I was preparing this and I was praying over you guys as well, I really, I really do have a heart of love for you guys too. 
And more than anything, I, I really desire for us to know Jesus Christ, to see how good he is. And the first step of that is going to be repentance. The first step of that is going to see where your sin is. Because only when you realize the depths of your sin are you going to realize the heights of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You see, John the Baptist, at the very end, he says in verse 16, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, the last element of repentant heart is that for you and me, we need to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. There is no one else. Acts 4.12 says that there is no salvation in any other name. My brothers and sisters, there is a heaven waiting for us. There is so much for us to experience when it comes to Jesus Christ. But I pray and I hope, my desire for you, is that we would come before the Lord and we would be repentant over the sins that we have done, that we would stop going in this one direction, we would turn around and go towards the Lord, for he has so much in store for us. And so my hope, church, is that you would turn away from your sin and go to him. Amen? Yeah, let's pray.